Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software, like Jira, Confluence, and Trello, help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. No matter if you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, Atlassian software keeps everyone connected and moving together as one towards shared company goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. it's that time of week again uh for those of you joining us live it's hump day and man what 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 a week so far at least for me john uh <laughs> this is the orange back black insider Bengals podcast see i'm already stumbling on the name of the show uh i'm anthony Cazenza, and it's great to have everybody with us great to have you back john we had a, a fill-in host and he did a great job cody Toomey, you know him uh but we missed you nevertheless my friend you were uh Sipping some margaritas and Coronas down Mexico way. So how was your trip? A lot of shots, a lot of forgotten memories, and one temporary tattoo. That, that's a sea paw. I got it before my beloved Bearcats blew a 13-point first-half lead to the Iowa Hawkeyes in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Not an event that was too unpredictable if you follow UC Bearcats basketball. But that if that was the low point of the trip, it was a very good trip regardless. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be back, though. Is that truly temporary? Because I, I feel as if you showed that on Twitter about a week ago, and those things kind of peel off, especially if you're in the sun, if you're in the beach, if you're at the pool. I don't know, man. I don't. Uh, the, the random dude on the beach said it would come off in three weeks, and I gave him 10 bucks and just kind of went with it. So okay. we'll find out. We'll find out in a week or two. If it's all right. Well, we'll check in with that on next episode. That that could be a segment all in itself <laughs> next episode. Good Lord, my friend. Um, well, hey, school pride. I like it. And and city pride, I guess. Yeah, I like it. Wish I could have chosen a better school. <laughs> At basketball. Well, uh, <laughs> hey, they made the tournament. Uh, you know, what – it's it's Cincinnati sports teams. What what else can you expect? Uh, but it's great to have you back, man. Uh, we had a good episode last week, but we def- definitely missed you. And uh, we've got a jam-packed one this week. My apologies to everybody for those who are starting, uh, who are watching us live. Uh, my apologies for starting late. That is my fault. I have had a number of things come up today. And um, yeah, so no excuses. Play like a champion. But still, my, my fault for being a little late. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the Darquez Denard signing and what that means for the Bengals and just how big of a signing that is for the team. We're going to talk about some recent uh, comments on Andy Dalton, very interesting comments on Andy Dalton by the head coach, Zach Taylor, and owner Mike Brown, what that means for the team going forward, and some other rumors tied into that we're also going to have a little fun and uh it's not going to be the cleanest game but it's going to be a fun game in terms of uh you know we're talking basketball so it's going to be a little Bengals slash draft sweet 16 
and we're going to go through a bracket quickly and uh, kind of reign a champion there. I think we know where that might go, but still, we're going to we're going to have a little fun with it. And then we're going to take, if we have time, we're going to take some listener questions. So get those to us on Twitter at BanglesOBI. Leave them in the comment section on CincyJungle.com. Leave them in the live YouTube chat. We're going to be scouring all those areas to try and get to some of those at the end of the show. You can also call or text us 949-542-6241. We'll be taking texts throughout the show. Calls at the end of it. So uh, get in touch with us how you can. And as always, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. We're on Spotify, and uh, all of our stuff's on on cincyjungle.com. It's on YouTube and the Megaphone platform. So get the show, subscribe, and hey, do us a favor. Tell a fellow Bengals fan that may not be listening to this show, tell them about it. And uh, if you like the show, like what we're doing, tell them about it, and tell them to subscribe and maybe tune in live with you. That being said, John... The Bengals made what I think a lot of people thought was a very unexpected move in re-signing Darquez Denard. There were some initial negotiations. It sounded as if Darquez Denard was kind of in the $8 million, $9 million, $10 million a year range is what rumors had. The Bengals said thanks, but no thanks. And he went to test the market. That didn't really work out for him. And now he is on a one-year deal. I believe I read it was in the, what, what was it? Five, five million. Yeah. I was going to say 5 million, 5.5 million, something like that. Um, so, and that's a pretty steep pay cut from his, the last year of his rookie deal. I think that was about 3 million or so. That was a pay cut from what he made in 2018. So all around a very interesting, very, unexpected sequence of events, but the Bengals have their quote unquote slot corner back. You just, your general thoughts about that move. Um, and, and were you surprised? I, I, I don't see how you couldn't have been, but were you surprised about it? I, I was because of the timing of it all, because I think that they felt that dinner was going to go in a, in a different direction as soon as free agency began and they couldn't find a deal because we all assumed that he would get a multi-year, uh, a contract in the range of the eight to nine million dollar range because that's how the market was trending at that point and usually when you have guys who are going to make that much money on the open market they typically don't come back to their own team so if he were to come back it makes sense it was on a deal much lower than he was expecting to get compared to the market and especially when they already signed what we what most of us thought was, was his replacement bw webb that's three starting cornerback contracts right. on the roster and then you bring back dennard so that room is now crowded and it's not a bad thing because you can never have too many good corners but that that shocked me a little bit um obviously he didn't find the money that he was looking for in the open market i think i only saw him go to kansas city and in talks with them there might have been other teams interested as well but as, as soon as as soon as i saw like the numbers and the monetary value on the contract i, I immediately went to the our, our slack channel and our editor jason markham was already on it like we're paying Bobby Hart more than we're paying Dark Weston Hart for the 2019 season, which if you had told me that in January, I would have, I would have lost my mind because it was, was so dumbfounding to hear. But yeah, it's, it's good to have a, a solid player in Dennard back. Obviously, looking at his career, you wish that they would have developed him a lot better because he only saw the field remotely in any capacity in like his third year, and that probably stunted him more so than what 
he could have been at this point in his career. So, but I think he's about what you would expect him to be based off the player that he was coming out of Michigan State. And good for him to kind of bet on himself to maybe get a little bit more money because he's still, I think, only 27, 28 years old. So he still has some time to get another decent deal. And obviously the market's always going to go up, especially for a position that's as valuable as slot corner. I'm just interested to seeing how this all kind of plays out with the guys that they have because you would assume Jackson keeps his spot. Kirkpatrick, for the time being, keeps his spot. You have Webb coming in in uh, Lou Anarumo's defense. He he did succeed as a slot corner in the time that he played there last year when um, and and Anarumo was there. So you would assume that he would have come in and started there, but now Dennard's back, and you're thinking, okay, he's going to take a spot back. Where does that leave Webb? Where does that leave Kirkpatrick? There's a lot of questions for me personally there, but it's safe to say the cornerback room is taken care of. No, no need to really spend a draft pick there, and you have your six or seven guys you'd like competing for training camp. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I look at it, we talk about maybe he overvalued himself only once in five seasons. Has he ever played a full 16 games? Um, three interceptions over five seasons, 17 passes defended in five seasons, three forced fumbles, one, uh, one recovery and three sacks. Um, known as a good tackler, known as, uh, you know, a physical guy, um, I, there's been, like I said, there's been some health issues. There's been some statistical issues. And I, I think maybe he just kind of pushed his chips in the middle of the table. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of lost a hand, I guess, if you want to use gambling analogies. I mean, I just, um, and, and I don't know that, I don't know that other teams really made a bad decision by not saying, yeah, we got to, we got to pay this guy a lot of money based on some of the stuff we've seen with him, the track record we've seen with him, not a bad player. Um, I I think he kind of said, Hey, you know, and and there has been some steady improvement over the past couple of years. Like you mentioned more snaps and, and a couple of more big plays, but uh, injured a little bit last year. I think he said, I'm a former first round pick. And you know, this is a cornerback, a greedy league. Um, position that gets paid well and and you know he he kind of bet on himself there now to to denard's credit he's kind of saying the right thing since he's been there he said this is going to be an elite cornerback group um he's excited to be back with the Bengals, even though it's for one year chances are um like you said it's going to probably be either or kirkpatrick or denard when it when 2020 rolls around um i don't know that it's going to be both uh, I, I think the end game regardless is to extend William Jackson. I, I think he's, right. gonna be, you know, I, I, that's kind of their guy, but at least for 2019, you, like you said, they've got four corners. They can roll out there that, uh, you know, they can make some plays. And uh, there were a couple of young guys at the end of last year. I think Darius Phillips had some nice moments. And so they're, you know, they've got some depth there and God forbid, if there is a big injury to one of those, you know, top three guys, top four guys, there's a, a lot of depth there. The, where I want to go next, though, is why I really like this signing for the Bengals, aside from the value of it. The The division is in a very weird place right now. Uh, it's very topsy-turvy in terms of, you know, all of a sudden now everybody thinks the Browns are going to, and, and rightfully so, they think they're going to, rule the roost and and take over control of the division because of the moves they have made over the past basically two off seasons, maybe three off seasons. And there are a lot of good ones. Um, you know, Baltimore, who knows what's kind of happening there. Pittsburgh, 
lost two big stars on offense. But the, the point I'm trying to make here, John, and, and I, I want to get your perspective, Pittsburgh's probably going to draft a wide receiver at a relatively high spot this year because of the loss of loss of Antonio Brown. Um, Baltimore always kind of collects B and C receivers. Um, I, I would expect them to probably do more of that, especially a speedy guy. Um, and then you've got Cleveland making the big trade for OBJ along with Callaway, along with Jarvis Landry, along with a lot of talented pass catchers uh, on those teams. Those teams also employ talented tight ends. My point is, is this a very underrated key to a successful run within the division for the Bengals because of the now the four seemingly good to at least capable cornerbacks to cover a lot of these weapons that they're going to see six times this year. Well, I did say um, when the Browns traded for OBJ that Dark was and Aren't's not going to make much of a difference there, right? Because, I mean, no, he's OBJ. It's it's just like if like if, like the Ravens brought back Tavon Young and it's like like he's going to stop AJ Green. Like we know that's not true. It's, it's kind of like this like a similar situation for me. But again, like it never hurts to add or retain good players, and having more good corners is better than having less good corners, I guess, in, in a sense. My, my whole thing is just like, the like you look at BW Webb's contract, and, you, and like for most teams, you wouldn't really, like you could just glance over, it's like three years, 10 and a half million, and you know, it could be like starter, could be backup money. But at this point, you know, the Bengals have four corners who are getting paid decent money that can, are, are capable of playing significant snaps. And yeah, you, you have a flux in Pittsburgh when, with Juju potentially rising up as that number one receiver. You have a, you know, now a solid group in Cleveland with OBJ leading leading the team. So you're going to have, you know, obviously dangerous options in that division facing up against a slot, and they're just going to be very valuable with that. And I think in, in terms of just the divisional impact, I, I look at the Ravens offense specifically and how they want to win. They want to, like, pound, pound the ball with Lamar Jackson and run their read option. Denner played pretty well against the Ravens in the one game that he played against them or, or in the one game that Lamar Jackson started against them and, and just kind of being that – uh, force defender in the slot, and that's kind of where his value is, is like a downhill run defender, and that's where he's always going to win more so than in coverage, while Webb is more of the fluid cover cover guy. So you have Webb maybe playing on the weak side in, in your dime formations, and Denner playing the strong side, be more of like a, a forceful run defender. So I like how the, this cornerback group kind of has a balance of of what, what guys do well and what, what guys do better in some other areas, and you, and you have Denner be that physical um, force setter in, in the slot, to, to defend, you know, either Lamar Jackson breed option or you have maybe you know, that, that, that diverse Browns running game as well. And obviously the Steelers are always going to have some type of answer on offense. So yeah, bringing back Dennard obviously bodes well I, I, defending this division whose offenses are all, largely up in the air. You have to assume that Cleveland's passing game is obviously going to, going to improve. You know, Pittsburgh is obviously very questionable right now, and you have to assume that Lamar Jackson's going to gradually improve as he gets older. So bringing back Denner definitely helps out their case and trying to salvage their 32nd ranked defense. Yeah, the, the run game is an interesting point because Denard is known as a is a sound tackler. Um, right. You know, not necessarily the preeminent trait you look for in a corner, but um, it is up there, and that's uh, you know he'll get his nose in there on on a couple of occasions and make some plays. And uh, you know I, I think also you know what those teams will do, especially the Browns with who they have at wide receiver, they will mix up you know who's in the slot and they'll, they'll kind of mix and match a little bit. So the Bengals uh, the Bengals have kind of some similar flexibility, I guess, right. uh, in terms of how to how to match coverages there. 
I want to ask you this because Cody and I talked about this last week, but this signing hadn't happened yet. This, there was some talk, Hey, maybe greedy Williams. Hey, you know, maybe corner is going to be that this pretty much takes that. I would think off the table. Correct. I mean, I don't know, man. It's the Bengals. It's a first round cornerback. <laughs> no, nah, it's not. It's not. It's not even years. So, table yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I think. I think they're probably. You know, looking looking day three to add someone there. And then we did talk about this though last week, and I just want to get your perspective. Really, the Bengals at this point re-signed. I think now five or six of their own uh, key free agents. Really, only brought in two outside guys. One guy is slated to be a starter in terms of uh, uh, Williams at the guard spot. Um, uh, are you pleased with this? Do you see any kind of viable improvement, or is this kind of just more treading water for the team? I mean, there there's going to be more probably after the draft in terms of you know some scrap heap signings, rental deals at, at positions they maybe didn't get to address as well as they would like in the draft, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, our, did, the Denard brings a little more excitement to the to the free agency period. But all in all, are you enamored with it, or are you kind of saying, "Well, this is still the same team that won six games last year"? The phrase that I always use with the Bengals in terms of their improvements is just baby steps. And I think a signing like John Miller, it's baby steps, BW Webb. Baby Sorry, steps. yeah, I said I said Williams. Williams. Oh, yeah. But but yeah, like I look at the names, just strictly the names that the Bengals have signed, and I'm thinking this is a, a solid free agency period compared to their standards. You're thinking, you know, maybe like one at most two external guys, typically on one year deals, typically towards the middle or the or the end of their careers when they're not at their best. But you have a guy like Miller who's a clear upgrade at right guard, even if he's not the greatest right guard ever. He's going to bring some form of stability, yeah. which they just haven't had. But it, with the offense line again, like bringing in Cordy Lynn, it was it was a small step in the right direction, but it wasn't enough. Miller. Um, replacing Alex Redman at, at, at that spot, it's it's an upgrade, but it's not enough because they still have a whole other right tackle, which they decided that isn't the hole because they paid the guy $16.5 million. So I just look at the names, and I think the names are fine because all, all these guys, in some capacity, I wanted them to bring back. The numbers on some of the contracts, we already talked about Hart and Brown. That's the most mind-boggling thing to me, and it kind of counteracts the positive moves in terms of bringing in B.W. Webb. And John Miller, even Webb got a little bit more than he probably should have gotten on yeah. the open market because he never even had any, I don't think I don't think he's ever had a multi-year uh, contract to his name. He's been on like six teams in five years, and this is this like puts his career earnings and like maximizes by like ninety percent based off what he already had. So, <laughs> like you never think about like the Bengals overpaying for uh, other players that aren't their own. Webb is, I guess, the biggest like thing when it comes to that. But even so, that's like. 3 million paying for this year. So compared to their standards, it's a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot. So I, it's a lot of just things, positives and negatives counter counteracting each other all at once in this free agency period. And I guess compared to the realistic expectations that we should have had, we can kind of just tip our hats and say, all right, at least they didn't completely shoot themselves to the foot. They kind of salvaged it with a couple of things. Yeah. Some immediate impact guys in the draft. Um, they, they, they haven't done that in the past. And, um, uh, the past couple of years in this high round. So uh, they're going to need to make a, uh, do a better job this year of that. And uh, you know, that'll potentially add to the free agency, but really, you know, a lot of familiar faces and uh, a lot of guys, I mean, kudos to them. They brought back a lot of guys that they had targeted in terms of internal guys, I guess, but um, 
what they're betting on. We talked. I talked about this last week with, with Cody. Is they are making a very risky bet on health. They think they've mm-hmm. got the talent, and they just need the health. Uh, the not have the injury bug, and um, we'll see if they can they can stay away from that. But Darquez Denard is back on a one year deal. Obviously, a uh, a thing where he's betting on himself for a year, and whether that he parlays that into a better deal next year for the Cincinnati Bengals, or if it's for another team, that's obviously his, his plan of attack going forward. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google play, on Spotify, on the megaphone platform. You can also get it on YouTube and Cincy jungle. So subscribe to our channels, get it how you can. We appreciate you tuning in live and getting this show after the fact, please try and join us live though. If you're able to, we usually record Wednesday evenings and uh, we'd love to have you and get your questions on, on the air. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. So while I was away, I did miss being on Twitter. I I, I did. Did you really miss it, though? I mean, no, no, it's a lot. But (laughs) the the one time I had Wi-Fi on the ship uh, is when I actually saw, like, the, the tweet of Burfitt getting released. So that was the one like piece of news that I actually saw like live, but I I, I did I did miss a, a few Bengals personalities on Twitter. One of them was Kat Terrell. I I think she has incredible savvy when it comes to like just asking questions and stuff, and she definitely showed that uh, in recent days because she asked Zach Taylor at the um, league's annual meeting in Phoenix, Arizona this year, um, the, the the question about the first round pick and. In years past, in, in, at least in the years that Terrell's, Terrell's been here, the common answer with the first-round pick from Marvin Lewis has always been everything's on the table except for quarterback. And that was specifically something they said in 2017 when they passed on Patrick Mahomes and Sean Watson. So in Terrell's fashion, she said, you know, is everything, on the, is everything every position on the table besides quarterback this year? And Taylor said, everything's on the table. And he didn't mention, or he didn't mention besides quarterback. Because Zach Taylor is not Marvin Lewis, and he's not tied to Andy Dalton, so that was kind of a positive, bright spot that we kind of got uh, this past week. And then we had a quote from Mike Brown saying that uh, Andy Dalton is not up for an extension this year. He's got two years left on his deal, but this is kind of the year that he needs to prove himself to come back with everybody healthy, and then we'll talk about an extension 
next year, which in just a vacuum is kind of weird how a, an average quarterback would possibly get an, a, an extension in this quarterback market when he's not proven himself worthy of getting that money, especially with two years left on his deal when none of them is guaranteed. So it, 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 it's kind of this weird dichotomy of comments with the quarterback situation because at, at the same time you have, you know, rumors going around about, you know, we're committed to Andy we're we're seeing what, what he's going to be able to do. Um, everything's on the table. If that includes quarterbacks, we have Zach Taylor going to pro days in Oklahoma and Ohio state, checking out Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. I guess only Haskins is likely to be available at this point there, but it's, it, it's kind of weird how we're seeing, you know, Zach Taylor and Mike Brown talk about any at all in this new era of bank of Bengals full, because obviously Taylor will eventually try to find that new guy. But Anthony, what do you think this says about the, not only the confidence of Andy Dalton, but just like the long-term future of the Bengals quarterback right now. I I think, and and as the draft nears, I think that the, I, I think Zach Taylor wants to have his guy to come in here and, and, you know, may put his stamp on things. I think ideally everyone's and I, by the way, I'm not a tank guy. I, I mean, I don't want to sit here and watch a two win season. And uh, especially for you and I that have to cover a team like that and try and make interesting stories and interesting podcasts. Sorry, I'm not into a two or three win season. That's not me. And I don't want to see these are professional athletes getting paid a lot of money. When you strip a team of talent and or you see teams just not putting forth the effort and they're making a lot of money to me. That's just a waste. I'll get off my soapbox now, but <laughs> I, I, so I, but I do understand that there are better quarterbacks potentially than what we think we see this year coming next year into a coming year after that. And Trevor Lawrence, I, I mean, I, I get it, but I also think that coaches now, and granted the Bengals have longer leashes with their coaches than probably a lot of other teams in the league, but coaches do have short leashes in the NFL today. And if they are not uh, doing well within a year, two years in the Zach Taylor era, and he does not have his, he is, he is not selected a quarterback. Um, I, I don't know that he would, he will have, felt as if he gave himself a fair shot because he didn't get the guy that he thinks can run his offense. So um, I, I think everybody knows my opinion. If I'm just sitting out here based on these comments, based on what Zach Taylor said when he first came in as the team's head coach about Andy Dalton, my thing is Zach Taylor probably has the opinion of most Bengals fans, which is, yeah, Andy Dalton's pretty good. Uh, you know, we give him a lot of talent. He's got some offensive line help. He can do a lot of things. But I also think Zach Taylor is, that's not my hand-picked guy. That's not mm -hmm. an, a, a transcendent talent at the position. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would not be surprised if number 11 is a quarterback. Um, I would not be surprised if the Bengals in the, in, in the top two or three rounds, you know, if they package some of those fifth-round, sixth-round picks and move up uh, or back into a round for a, for a quarterback, especially if one starts to slide. Uh, so I don't want to sit here and say, oh, Andy Dalton's going to be benched by the time week eight rolls around in 2019. That's I, I, I think Andy Dalton, we've seen, has a very good rapport with A.J. Green when he's healthy. He has an excellent rapport with Tyler Eifert, especially in the red zone when they, they're both healthy. 
You got Joe Mixon coming off of one. So he's got a lot of those weapons. He's got a lot of surrounding talent, which is which was the key to a, a very good year by him in 2015. But uh, these comments obviously make it seem like either, yeah, we're looking at somebody at 11. We may have our eyes on Josh Rosen, though it's not. It's reported that they aren't one of the teams supposedly interested at this point. Or... Um, we are going to look at a quarterback, but it will be in 2020 and 2019 is a prove it year for Andy Dalton. If he's going to take the next step in his career. But I think by now, I mean, we're eight years into this thing. I mean, we, we, we should know. I mean, uh, and, and there are people that are vehement about get rid of them and the other way, keep them, keep them, keep them and get the talent. Uh, but I, I just I think we know I, I, th- I think we've got a very large sample size with Andy Dalton and uh, the Marvin Lewis era was trademarked with stick to the devils you know and the, instead of the ones you don't and I, I, Taylor may be especially in his first stint as a head coach he may he may want to gamble a little bit more and, and go the other way yeah and I think there's obviously a big difference which within the first year coach saying this and like the 15 year head coach saying that, yeah, we're not going to, I'm not going to try my luck with a new quarterback. I'm going to stick with the one I have because what, what we know now is that he didn't have that much time left. So he did probably didn't want to start fresh over, but yeah. And you talk about <laughs> like a new coach getting his new guy and look no further than Arizona. It was right. Exactly. Li- liquidate the quarterback that they traded up for five spots last year to get a brand new quarterback. The one that he wants with the first overall pick. So yeah, like obviously the, Different, the dynamics between the Arizona front office and the Bengals could not be any more different in, in that case. But yeah, it makes sense because Taylor is new here and he does want to work well with the Bengals front office and what they do well, but also he wants to win with his guys and he wants to do things his own way. And, and if he finds the guy that can run his offense better than Andy Dalton, I wouldn't be surprised if he stands up on the table and argues for him because uh, ultimately his regime is going to be defined by a quarterback who's not Andy Dalton. Because I think at this point we realize that he's probably just not enough to move, move on further than, than where they went in years past with him, even, uh, even under a new head coach, because like, you're right, he's eight, nine years into the league. And at this point he is who he is and maybe he can maintain solid production in the regular season, but it's going to take just an otherworldly performance and on a stage that he's never shown and that's something that Zach Taylor might not be betting on, at least beyond 2020. Uh, it, it's fine for him. For, it's fine and fair to hit, to give him a shot in 2019 to give him the best possible chance to win with a roster in a new offense. And I think that's fine for him to express confidence in that. But I think it's also important to see that, you know, I like you, Andy, but like I'm I'm not Marvin Lewis, and I, if I see my guy, I'm going to go get my guy, and I have no confidence. I have no. I have no doubt that Andy's going to do his best to kind of mentor him along the way as well. And like, uh, like, like you said, if, if the quarterback isn't taken with the first three or four picks, I'll, I'll be more shocked than not. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I think these non-committals, I guess, or especially from the owner, a guy who is so steady in, you know, keeping some of these figurehead type of players, figurehead type of coaches. Um, the fact that he said, we're going to let 2019 play out. Um, that to me, uh, that, that speaks volumes. Um, and uh, I, 
I don't want to, like I said, I'm not sitting here saying Andy Dalton's not going to start this year. I'm not sitting here saying. No, he's definitely starting. Right. I'm not going to try to tank, obviously. Right, right. Uh, And I I just, like I've kind of started saying early when the Taylor hire happened, I just, I, I wonder if he's just, he wants to put his stamp on things, wants to put his stamp on things. And in doing so, it would be, by a quarterback. He was a quarterback himself. He coached quarterbacks. Um, it just makes sense to me. But uh, yeah, I, I gut feeling for you, just to kind of before we move on, um, do you do you see the Bengals using that, that top pick of theirs? Based on these comments, um, do you see that happening uh, at, at quarterback? I think they're in a good spot where they're not going to force themselves into it because I think, I think it's clear that Kyler's going one. And then beyond Kyler, you have Haskins, who's probably the consensus too. Then you have Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, two guys that me personally would not poke with a 50-foot yard stick in the first round. So I think they're in a good spot to see what happens with Haskins. I think if he falls beyond the top six, which would probably isn't going to happen, they're in a good spot to move up. But just based off what how they normally operate, you know, what, what the state of the roster is, because they kind of pigeon, pigeonhole themselves into targeting either a linebacker or a defensive lineman with that first that first round pick in a good class for both positions. So I think they're pretty focused on those two positions with that pick. But if Haskins does fall to like eight, nine or ten and they have him graded high and they're now considering a quarterback, it's got to be considered as a legitimate possibility. I, I won't believe they trade up for him in, until it actually happens. But if Haskins is available there, it's hard for me to say that they won't do it because in years past, you could definitively say that they won't do it because Marvin Lewis is still here. The comments were clear, but this is Zach Taylor and the, the, the option is on the table. Now, I don't think Haskins will fall all the way down there. And I don't think that they'll um, try to talk themselves into a Daniel Jones in the first round. I think they'll just go with the best player at, a, at another position of need. But, but yeah, like I, I think there is a scenario that does exist. It's just not a likely one. Yeah. And, and, the Rosen thing's the wild card because they there was a report, uh, I think it was by Joel Klatt of Fox Sports, that said uh, the Giants were one of the teams supposedly really interested in in Josh Rosen. And if they were to give up, you know, a second round pick or whatever, that would obviously, they're one of the teams that has constantly mocked Dwayne Haskins in the, in the draft and or in mock drafts. So, you know, then all of a sudden you take a team out of the equation in that top 10 that doesn't need a quarterback because they have moved Rosen. Um, maybe a trade falls out of favor with, uh, w- with the Giants and then Rosen becomes an option for the Bengals. And then that way they're only using a second round or third round pick as capital. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, there's the Rosen thing to me is a, a wild card type of situation on how this thing plays out. And I wish the Bengals were a legitimate part of that wild card conversation because I think <laughs> right now it's just the Chargers and the Patriots who are like legitimate things. And like, like pe- people are talking about the Giants should like offer one of their first round picks. And in theory, that, that would be smart because it, most people think the Rosen's worth it. But right now, his market's like a third. And like only the Chargers and I, I guess the Patriots are considering a second. So if you're the Giants, you're thinking, why would I offer a first when I can offer like a third or a second? And honestly, like, yeah, like the Bengals and the Dolphins and a plethora of other teams should be slamming the Cardinals phones for that third or second round pick because even if you do have confidence in the guy like Andy Dalton for one year to have that guy because if you're considering taking a quarterback like a Will Greer or a Tyree Jackson like the third or second round 
and then you have you have a chance to get use that pick on Rosen. There's just no reason why that plan wouldn't be better than the other one. Yeah, some some comments in the uh, the live YouTube chat. Jason Von Stein says they said the same thing about Jamarcus Russell. Uh, Robert Obrecht says da- Daniel Jones Duke second round. Um, uh, Zachary Stemple says Jones is a check down Charlie. <laughs> I like that. Um, Ken Dipple says look up Bart Williams Grand Valley State. Um, I don't know if you know Fake my name. What's that? Bart Williams cannot be a real name. What? Um, it's a professor. All right, Bart Bart Williams. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, interesting stuff ahead for the quarterback position, and uh, you know we're we're closing in on the draft, and so you know it it's going to be talked about more and more, and these comments definitely fuel that. Moving on, John. Let's play. Let's let's bring a little levity to the show, shall we? Perfect. And this is probably going to be sloppy as hell, but um, whatever. Let's let's have some fun with it. It's, to be my, honest, only, it's my only bracket. Uh, yeah, yeah. Same with me. <laughs> uh, and you'll probably be able to tell because this is put together with bubble gum and band aids. And uh, truth be told, we had a different different idea planned uh, as of yesterday for the show, and then we kind of said, you know what, the Sweet Sixteen's coming up, so let's create a little Bengals, and, and the NFL draft is coming up, so let's create a little. Bengals draft bracket 16 and uh, sweet, a sweet 16 draft bracket. Obviously, I think we know who's going to win um, in terms of it's kind of like the Duke, North Carolina as they enter the tournament type of thing. To be honest, I didn't seed these people, um, but what I did do is I placed them and there are a number of factors. So let's 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 lay out some parameters here. There are a number of factors in this and how I kind of grouped them was by region and by region of their college that they went to. Um, now, there's a little bit of fudging there based on who the who the players are and geographics, but I think you kind of get the gist of it. Um, there's also, I mean, most of, these, most of these guys are high picks, but you also have to take into account longevity with the team, Pro Bowls. Um, you also have to take into account where they were drafted, all of that good stuff. Unfortunately, there are a couple of players that uh, probably should or could be on this list that are not because of the geographic situation and all of that. Um, you'll probably recognize who those might be as we go through these names. But let's start this off until we whittle it down Um where, where do you want to start, John? The south, the the west, uh, the north, or the east? Never eat soggy waffles, Anthony. Start with the north. Start with the north? Okay. Start with the north. All right. So we have Ken Anderson versus Lamar Parrish. And by the way, there's obviously like no home court whatever here. I mean, <laughs> it, it, so we can't, I mean, we can't like do that stuff. Yeah, yeah, come on. Can we, can we just have a little fun with it? That's what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, like, what, what, what's the spread here? Is, like, yeah. playing, like, favorite, like, five and a half, you know? God, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess there is a home uh, – you could say Anderson has the advantage because he's a quarterback and more people know him, um, I guess. But uh, for those who don't know, Lamar Parrish had six Pro Bowls with the Bengals as a defensive, defensive back, was an excellent player, and then was traded to the Redskins, um, one of the best players in their history. Obviously, Ken Anderson the same – Former NFL MVP. Um, who do you got in that one? I mean, I I 
just learned like kind of recently um i was educated about how good parish was because i always um yeah. um oh god what was his name the, the other safety from the 88 super bowl team uh fulcher yeah I, I was always like a big fulcher stand because he ran like a football camp for some of my friends and he was always a cool dude and i always knew how good he was but i never knew how good lamar parish was he was it's just as good if not better but even still like Ken Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame, and Lamar Parrish probably shouldn't be. So this is easy, easily Ken. Okay. Um, let's go. Uh, we'll save East since we just kind of did a quarterback there, and we just did North. Let's do let's do East. Another East bracket. I'm gonna I'm gonna take notes here. So I think we both are in agreement. Ken Anderson wins that one, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's do the East bracket. Now this is where it got a little, eh, we kind of ran out of South people, uh, South bracket people. So these, this is technically Southeast guys, but James Brooks and Chris Collinsworth, Chris Collinsworth made, I believe three pro bowls with the Bengals, uh, former first round pick. And James Brooks was not drafted by the Bengals. I think he was a former second-round pick, but uh, made four Pro Bowls with the Bengals and was one of the best trades they have ever made. Um, James Brooks went to Auburn. Chris Collinsworth went to Florida. So that's where we kind of got creative with the East bracket there. But who do you have in that one? Hmm. The other South matchup looks more star-powered, but this one is a little more old, old school, a little out of my out of my comfort zone here. But I'll go, I'll go with James Brooks because. Gio, Gio Bernard has always been like that, that that next incarn reincarnation of James Brooks, and I've always, I've I've a big Barry Sanders stand. He's always that. That's just my kind of running back. They kind of make you miss kind of guy. Obviously, very valuable in, during that '88 season. Very in, both in the run game and pass game. Obviously, Collinsworth owns PFF and has his own little own little slide intro into Sunday Night Football, but I think. Brooks is more underrated. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that five twelve matchup that I would pick the twelve, and I think that qualifies as Brooks here. I'm a, I'm in agreement. And by the way, for those of you tuning in live, um, we are uh, if we do, I think we're going to agree on a lot of these. But if we don't, we're going to rely on some of the live yeah. listeners in the YouTube for the tiebreaker. If we if we have a standstill, we've already got a couple of people saying um, Ken Anderson was the winner there. And then uh, Optic Blasted, this last one, was a tough one, I believe. Uh, but I think we're going to go with Brooks on that one. So Collinsworth is eliminated, and, Lam and Lamar Parrish is eliminated. Um, let's, let's jump to the other side. Uh, we'll leave it one more east and one more north in just a second. This, is, uh, this side is where a lot of the easier – a lot of the harder matchups are, in my opinion. But I think – uh, that we'll start with an easy one, which is from the West bracket, Anthony Munoz versus Bob Trumpy. Now it's, I, I think, uh, I think there's no contest here. And obviously Anthony Munoz is the favorite to win this bracket, but I don't think we can sneeze at what Bob Trumpy's career was. He was a four-time pro bowler with the Bengals really revolutionized the tight end position. Um, but that being said, that's a tough, a tough bracket for for Trumpy. Um, I don't all right, all right. In Trumpy's case, because he was the Bengals radio guy for many years, right? Yes, yes, he was. Yeah. Would you consider him better at that job than Anthony Anthony Munoz was at preseason broadcaster? <laughs> sure. All right, so I, I think that has to weigh in some, in some way because it's the one versus sixteen, and 
we, okay. we, we're not trying to make Munoz the Virginia to Trumpy's UM, UMBC here, but uh, all right, yeah, fine, Munoz. <laughs> I, I, tried, I, tried, I tried, Trumpy, I tried. By the way, uh, shameless plug of the show, we also have a couple of guys from this bracket who have been on our program, so including Mr. Munoz, and uh, so we better make sure he advances far because <laughs> if we ever want him back, <laughs> um, we'll have to we'll have to tell him about this. By the way, if he yeah. does win, if he does win this bracket, we'll have to tell him about it next time we have him on. Um, so let's go with this. This one's tough for me. Um, very, very difficult for me. We may need to rely on uh, somebody, uh, some chat room folks for this. In the West bracket, Corey Dillon versus Chad Johnson. Oh, that, that that is a that is a really tough. And here's the thing, okay? And I'll I'll let you go first here, John. Here's the thing: Dillon was a victim of being on some god awful teams. Yes, Johnson was. I don't want to say he was a product. He was he was a main source of why the Bengals were good throughout the, the, the you know, 2000s and whatnot. But he had – there were teams and a coach that were much more improved than pretty much whatever Dylan had. And then Dylan went on beyond the Bengals and had a couple of great seasons with the Patriots, won a Super Bowl with them. So this is where I think it's tough. I'm going to let you go first on that one. And the winner of this one's going to face Ken Anderson. Oh man, I want to say Dylan for the sake of being a devil's advocate, but Chad Johnson's the goat, man. Like he's he's the guy who made the Bengals dope, and like like Dylan did his own part too with that. And it's, it's this is this is almost like a championship in its own, like because they're so similar in terms of their impact and and how not only how good they were, but how like it kind of started a dialogue about the Bengals, even though they weren't a perennial powerhouse at at the time, but. Uh, if I was a little bit older, I, I might be more inclined to say Dylan because I didn't see all of his career when I was a when I was a Bengals fan, and at least as a conscious one. I, I Chad by like a buzzer beater, I would say. Oh, I like I like the the multi multi sport <laughs> reference there. I like that. Uh, you know, I am begrudgingly going to go with you. And by the way, talk about two guys who had very similar ends of their careers with the Bengals, went on to the Patriots and played in a Super Bowl with them. You know, go in terms of Patriots, Dylan was a better Patriot. He was a better Patriot. Wow. Um, I, and this Brack, this next one's going to be very interesting because these are probably two of the guys that will always be discussed about the Hall of Fame, um, but probably never get in. Uh, I will begrudgingly go with Chad Johnson. More Pro Bowls. Um, I'm seeing more... Uh, I, I I'm inclined maybe personally to go a little more Dylan just because I remember him doing more with less, but right. I, I'm seeing a lot of Chad, 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 uh, Ken Dipple, DJ says Chad, Zachary Stemple says probably Chad. Um, uh, I, uh, Robert Obrex is Dylan. Uh, so yeah, I, I think we're going to go Chad and he's going to go to the final four against Ken Anderson uh, and we'll get to that one in just a second. So let's let's do this one. Let's hop back to the East. Boomer Sison versus Carl Pickens. To me, I, I think a lot of people remember Boomer Sison much more than they do Ken Anderson because of recency and obviously flash. Um, this may be, I guess, on some hands, easy for some. Uh, Carl Pickens has the Corey Dillon effect to me because Pickens has was the 
even worse teams yeah. than Dylan was on. And, uh, you know, really all there was there um, was Jeff Blake throwing him rainbows. Um, but he did – he was amazing for this team for a stretch of a handful of seasons. Boomer the same, though, and Boomer was an NFL MVP. Who do you have in this one? I forgot, honestly, where Pickens was drafted. I think had he had been drafted – well after Boomer, I think that might have given an edge because that's a variable that I haven't really considered until now in terms of draft status and what they got from him. But like a, a Bengals player who played all of his career in the 90s made two Pro Bowls. It's like it, it's like the most impressive feat in the history of sports. And that was Carl Pickett. <laughs> like and I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Jeff Blake Stan who is like in the is like in the NIT of this of this of this pool, I guess, along with Carl's Dunlap. But um like, like, even so, like, that, that offense is dreadful. That, that team is dreadful. And Pickens still somehow managed to produce at a level that, I guess, relative to his surrounding talent and his surrounding environment is honestly incredible. And I look at Boomer, who's, in my opinion, the clear second-best quarterback in this franchise's history, and, you know, the, the, the stuff that he did under Steve, um, under Weiss and stuff, I, I'm gonna go Pickens because I I I, 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 think, I I think there is I think there is that impact because Boomer was a part of the greatest Bengals team in the history a uh, history of the organization. Unfortunately, did not win that Super Bowl. Four Pro Bowls to his name. Well, obviously, uh, all, all pro season almost. Uh, I believe it was almost an MVP or maybe it was an MVP season. P- Pickens '90s dope made made that made that team kind of fun when, when you know they did win every every once in a while. I'll go Pickens. I'm gonna go Boomer. Um, so we're, we're going to go to the YouTube chat just, and, and it's not by, not by a lot. Um, I don't think Boomer gets his due as a, as a football player, just in general, especially with Ken Anderson and, you know, him being on the, the front end, I guess, not even really of when the Bengals started to turn very bad in the nineties. But, uh, there was also a couple of years with Boomer that he basically had like three outstanding seasons and then, you know, some hit and miss seasons, but, uh, I'm going, I'm going, uh, I'm going to go with, with Boomer because I'm seeing more of it in the YouTube chat. I'm sorry, John, um, <laughs> Spencer Myers says aside, aside DJ says Boomer. Um, so, uh, there was one for Pickens there as well. So we're going to go, we're going to go Boomer by a nose. Pickens is eliminated. Um, so let's go. And by the way, this is, this is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. And we are doing a sweet 16 of Bengals best draft picks, or I guess Bengals best players, um, based on region, um, from where they went to school, uh, North, we have Reggie Williams, who really wasn't ever an outstanding player, but played a lifetime of football with the Bengals, um, and was always pretty good. And, uh, Tim Crumry. And uh, Reggie Williams went to, I believe he went to Dartmouth. And uh, Tim Crumry, you said, went to Wisconsin. I think you told me before we went on the air just to remind yes. you that. So who do you have in that one? Tenth round pick, one All-Pro, yeah. two Pro Bowls, part of a Super Bowl team. Let's go Crumry. Yep. Obviously a fan favorite as well. Yep. Hard to hard to argue with that. So you have from the West bracket in this final four matchup, uh, Anthony Munoz, who went to USC, and then you have uh, him playing in the final four against Tim Crumry, who went to Wisconsin. Gee, who's going to win that one? Um, let's let's finalize the other two final four brackets. Here we have Boomer barely making it out of the East. 
And oh boy, this is one of the tougher ones as well uh, from the South bracket. AJ Green versus Willie Anderson. Reminder, Willie Anderson's been on this program. So <laughs> he has. And AJ Green could be on this program. Uh, yeah, he could be at some point. That decision, but oh man. Um, like Green's accolades match what Willie's should be, I guess. I, I don't have Willie's Pro Bowls in front of me. I can look them up right now. I think he has four. It's four. Yeah. Um, four. Four, right. four, four Pro Bowls, three All Pros, which is more than I, no more than I thought. Should be a Hall of Famer. Um, part of some bad Bengals teams, obviously, started in 96. Half his career was under the Marvin Lewis era. I finished his career with the Ravens. Obviously, Green is just the best player that they have right now, if not for another guy that we're going to mention in a little bit. Two terrific guys. I love I love following Willie on Instagram and on Twitter. You get he kind of gets at it and he has an attitude of his own. Green's kind of just a whole other personality, but ah, uh, top ten pick, top four pick. I, oh, I, I I think I have to go Green because yeah. that was a pick that you know after the lockout, after the Palmer fiasco, they they, they just couldn't miss. And obviously that draft class, you literally could not miss in the top 10 unless you pick Blaine Gabbert. But it was just such a slam dunk pick that ended up being about as good as you could possibly get. And to no disrespect to Willie at all, he's a fantastic player who should have a bust at, at can if he played for a relevant franchise. But uh, I'll just I'll just go with Green for that significance about what it did for the franchise. Going to go with you, and there's a ton of AJ support in the YouTube chat. Uh, and for the sake of time, hard to disagree with anything you said there, but that is that is a very tough pick there. So you have Green versus Boomer in one of the final four brackets, Chad versus Ken Anderson in the other, Munoz versus Krumrai. Here's here, and then James Brooks is going to face off in the final four here against these two guys. Another very tough one, Geno Atkins versus Andrew Whitworth from the South bracket. Obviously, Atkins went to Georgia, Whitworth went to LSU. I'm a Georgia stand over LSU, but... It's more tough than that, I think, because uh, there, there's there's an, there's there's a part of me that wants to go wit because of how it ended here and just kind of like a sympathy thing, but it, it, it was always interesting to me, like with with the debate with between him and Joe Thomas is not only the best offensive tackle in the division in the state, but just in, in the league and how underappreciated Whitworth was and for a time that was kind of what Gino was before he really elevated himself into that upper echelon. And eventually now he was taken over by Aaron Donald, but you're talking about two guys who at their peaks were top two or three at their position. And I think in terms of just the, just the criteria of how we're doing this, I think I'm going to lean towards Gino because it was a fourth round pick. He had kind of more going up against him because at that time there was just only a handful of undersized three techniques who really made it big in the NFL and a couple of them were long retired by then. So he kind of started this new wave of undersized B gap rushers that ended up making a name for himself. So I'll, I'll go Gino for those reasons. I, I will begrudgingly join you. There's everything in, in the world telling me Whitworth, including, I mean, you should see, you should see the YouTube chat. This is like split right yeah. down the middle. Um, I'll go Atkins too, and I think more because of the value aspect, the fourth round pick, um, more Pro Bowls. I, I will say what's making me lean somewhat to Wit is just the fact that uh, you know he's still doing it at, at a such an older age um, and still playing at a very high level. But uh, I will I will begrudgingly go Atkins there. 
so that finalizes the four. Let's let's get through these pretty quickly before we get some listener questions and get out of here. Uh, AJ Green versus Boomer in the final four. There, I'll go with Green or Elite Eight. I guess. Wow, I guess we're <laughs> Elite Eight. We're not even Final Four. Uh, green, yeah, I'll, I'll go Green. I'm with you there. Uh, Chad versus Ken Anderson. It's like the same thing. It's, it's, I know. It's elite receiver know. versus top two quarterback. I my all the logic is telling me Ken, so I'll go Chad because that's kind of how I do my brackets at home. I'm with you, Chad. <laughs> and guess what? That sets up a matchup for. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Atkins versus Brooks. I think we both are going to say Atkins on that yep. one. Yep. Yep. Uh, and and then. Wow, this is quite the final four. Munoz versus Crum Crumry. I think we know where we're going with that one, correct? Sharpie. Yeah. Okay. So final four. Green versus Chad. You know what I You're gonna make me answer this? This is uh Duke, North Carolina, I guess, here there, in a way. There's no right answer. I'm just gonna make make me upset about the guy I left out. I I don't know, man, because I, I I think Green is the more naturally talented player, but I think Chad's technique and craft is so ungodly underappreciated, and it just his overall skill set was just legendary in its own right. And I think that Chad working with Carson Palmer gave him more of an advantage than Green working with Andy Dalton. And I think the consistency that Green has shown, despite a few durability issues, gives him another edge as well. I think I'm for all this. Uh, there's all those factors, and then there's like Chad being obviously the culture aspect of just being a Bengals fan. And what made that <laughs> so amazing too? It's like it, it's just these. It's an unstoppable force, meaning an unmovable object. Yeah, and I, you're, I, you're, t- you're talking yourself in and out of the answer. Exactly. <laughs> just put Green. Just put Green. And get yeah. it over with. Yep. That's that's who I got. So AJ Green is in the championship. Uh, now we know who's going to win this, I think, but this is still a, a hell of a matchup: Atkins versus Anthony Munoz. Do you know? Uh, I mean, Munoz for me, but uh, <laughs> uh, I mean that's still not something to sneeze at. Not a matchup to sneeze at, right? Not at all. Okay. All right. So uh, Munoz moves on, and then you got Green versus Munoz. I think we know Munoz is going to win. That's what we said at the at the entire onset, right? Unless you got AJ Green being a better player than Anthony Munoz. Um, do you? I unfortunately, <laughs> I unfortunately do not. No, but hey, the bracket kind of worked out in a way that a lot of people would would say. Final four was Green versus Chad, and you had Atkins versus Munoz. Munoz wins it all. Now I see some people talking about some other people, uh, some other players we omitted in here. Yes, there were some others. Unfortunately, we can get because we went Sweet 16. If we were doing the 32, by the way, that'd be like a whole episode. So uh, we left off obviously a great person, great player, David Fulcher, Isaac Curtis. Um, you know, Tommy Casanova was a guy we kicked around as well. There are some other offensive linemen. Max Montoya was another guy I thought about. Um, you know, you can even go Bob Johnson, the first guy ever picked by the team. Uh, there are a lot of a lot of different guys. If we just went just the whole South bracket, 
They would have been. Uh, yeah, gosh, we should have. Gosh, <laughs> I mean, the South matchups were were awesome, but uh, you know, even though this team only has one true Bengals player in the Hall of Fame as we currently sit here, I mean, it, we, you heard the list of all the players. There, there is an argument to be had for quite a few of these players, especially when Atkins and Green hang it up. Uh, you know, there's going to be some arguments to be had on a lot of these guys. So um it's it's fun reminiscing we appreciate you guys playing along and uh, we know it went a little long but hey the sweet 16's coming up we thought we'd do a Bengals sweet 16 we appreciate there's a there's a lot of interaction in the live chat as to um their votes and there were a couple they helped with a couple of tiebreakers there so we appreciate that Munoz is uh he's just he's just gonna win these things until I don't know the team ends up getting a guy who makes like 15 Pro Bowls. Um, we knew we knew going in he'd probably win, but uh, we did have some interesting match matchups along the way. God, that Dylan John- Chad Johnson one that was a that was a tough one. That still um, pains me. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're going to get to a couple of listener questions here, so leave them in the live YouTube chat. Hit us up on the Orange and Black Insider line nine four nine five four two six two four one. Um, we'll also be scouring a couple of other, uh, areas on cincyjungle.com and at Bengals OBI and Twitter. So we're going to take some listener questions before we get out of here. Um, so hit us up, but you can get this show in the meantime, if you're not with us live, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google play, on Spotify. You can also get it on the megaphone platform as well as on YouTube and cincyjungle.com. Uh, so please hit us up with uh, some questions you have before we get out of here. Um, there, there was some talk early on in the live YouTube chat, um, and I think this is worth discussing because I saw more chatter of this on the uh, on Twitter earlier this week because of so many mock drafts, and you get overrun and inundated with mock drafts at times. But um, there, you know, there's the situation of. What if the Devons aren't there? I see Ken Dipple talked about it early in the show. I see Alex Gonzalez mentioned it as well. Um, Jason Von Stein also said, I'd love to trade out of the first and get another this year. Um, is If those two guys are gone, and granted, it, it it depends on you know quarterback availability and all that stuff like we talked about, but if those two guys are gone, because I think those are the two guys we sit here today and we say, those are the two guys that are very ready to play, immediate impact player at the position that is needed the most, sidebar on our show post that we put up on Cincy Jungle last week we had a vote as to what position still needs the most help and this was before the Darquez Denard signing and linebacker won by an absolute landslide mm-hmm. uh, so if I guess the question is if the Devons are gone what do the Bengals do is it is it tackle or bust is it quarterback or bust or is it move back collect more picks and try and build the other areas of the team this is why this, this, these discussions are always so great because, like, the list of guys who could potentially be gone for the team picking 11th overall spot, it reaches like 20. And you're like, guys, if both linebackers are gone and both quarterbacks are gone, that's four guys gone. And there's seven other guys that need to be picked. And you're talking about a class that's full of elite defensive line talent. If both Devons are gone, both quarterbacks are gone, a guy like Ed Oliver could be there. A guy like Brian Burns, the edge rusher from Florida State, could be there. You're going to get a guy who should be a clear top 10 player available at 11th overall. And I, I don't even think most people have Devin Bush as that as, at the same 
um, level of grade is like a Devin White, who I think right. is rumored to go now no further than like fifth overall to the Buccaneers. He probably is probably going to go in the top five. So if, if he's gone, then Bush is obviously the best linebacker available. Um, maybe, maybe like a couple weeks ago before the combine, he wasn't projected to be a high first round pick, but that combine obviously elevated his stock tremendously. So if he's somehow gone, that gives me great confidence that a very good player at another position, either defensive end or defensive tackle is going to be there available for the Bengals to pick and improve the team because that's all that matters. If, if their pass rush improves, at a at a greater rate, even if they don't get a first round linebacker, that still improves the defense overall, and they can still find a quality linebacker to put behind him there, which I think is is, is all that matters. You kind of just had to go with the flow with the draft because the draft is stupid, and stupid things can happen. And both Devin's being gone in the first 10, 10 picks would be kind of a stupid thing to to think about just in the pre draft, but it's just one of those things that just kind of happens. And you know, there's going to be two or three quarterbacks that are going to get picked, so. It just leads to another great player at a position of need to be available there. So it's something to worry about, but not something to be too concerned about. Yeah, we worry about this a lot. And, you know, for some reason, we always say, oh, the guy's not going to be there. The guy's not going to be there. And some for someone And falls. then he's there, and then they don't take him. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> David DeCastro, hi. How are you? Um, so, yeah. I mean, someone's going to be there, like you said. I uh, if the Devons aren't there, Annette Oliver will be there. And that right. would that would make a lot of people happy. If all three of those guys are gone, that means a quarterback will be there um, or one of the elite offensive linemen in this draft. So I mean someone's gonna be there where you're gonna be like, okay, there's value there. Right. Um, I, I don't I don't think there's gonna be a massive reach, um, which is what the Bengals used to do in the pre-Marvin Lewis era. We do have a call on the line. I believe it's from our good friend Terrell. Terrell, how are you? How you going? Uh, going pretty good. Yeah, it, it actually feels like it's been a while since we've talked to you, bud. Yeah, uh, and I gotta say, since '95, finally felt like spring a little bit. Yeah, it was like sixty today. And, uh, I just really wanted to just say that uh, I'm just kind of getting pissed off because um, all this week. All I've been hearing is about the Browns or the Steelers, the Browns or the Steelers. I mean, we, they not even mention the Ravens or the Bengals. Like, it's like we not even the topic. It's like it's like I guess they just think that Andy Dalton it is it is what it is, and uh, Lamar Jackson came through. And then the thing that was aggravating me was they they was going position by position, and they the way they thinking uh, James Conner is like one of the like basically let me on Bill and, and I'm thinking like shit we still got Joe Mixon and stuff and it was irritating me about the uh just they everybody just so blown over about the uh Browns and they even still thinking about the Steelers. And also uh I just think real quick I just think that John Miller has got to be the starting right tackle or long right side with the right tackle with uh Bobby Hart. And I think um I really hope um uh, dang, I forgot his name. I really hope uh, this other guy that started last year in the center. But I really hope that uh, Price do fight for that, uh, like a, either in the center or a guard spot, hmm. and we get uh, maybe the uh, maybe the tackle from uh, Kansas State. Oh, Riz- Risner, yeah. yeah but, well, I, well, Terrell, I, I, but the. The, the first the first question I uh, we're gonna address both of these but your first question was probably one of the best ones you've you've submitted on this show because it is something I'm fired up yep. about so uh, appreciate you calling in my friend and we'll we'll talk to you soon um, 
the first the first one, John, is something that I've I'm kind of fired up about because Twitter every day. I mean, I saw this thing today where it was the Muppets singing about Baker Mayfield and he's Cookie Monster's favorite. I mean, I'm sitting here going, dude, this is ridiculous. This is a team. I, I, I we briefly talked about it last week, I think, with Cody, but this is a team. That won seven games last year, seven games, and they have made the playoffs once since 1999. This is a team that has probably, I mean, aside from its early, 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 early foundations, has been as cursed or more than the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of choking away big games. Look, there are, there's a lot of talent on the, amassed on that team. There is a lot for that team to be excited about because of the drought that, that they've experienced. But, I mean, the media hype train is all over it. And God, if you're a Browns fan, God forbid Baker Mayfield ends up having a sophomore slump or people <laughs> hear him out or something because that is going to be a gigantic fall from grace. Here's the other thing, um, because I do want to get your take on that, John. But the other thing is I like what Terrell said about matching up position players by position players you go obviously obj jarvis landry antonio callaway there there's a lot of talent there well hey tyler boyd just came off of a thousand yard season aj green is going to flirt with the hall of fame by the time he's done and if john ross takes somehow a big stride uh this next year that's not a bad trio you have tyler eifert you got you know you've got some talent you've got joe mixon you've got giovanni bernard i mean there are when you kind of look at the exciting players, you go, well, you know, I mean, the Bengals have a lot of talent. My problem is, it's what I said earlier, the ifs. If everybody stays healthy, if John Ross takes the leap, if the coaching staff and their inexperience is wiser beyond their years, that's where I worry in terms of the Bengals in comparison to maybe the Browns. By the way, Freddie Kitchens is a first-time head coach himself in the NFL, so um, your your thoughts on all of that? I thought that was a good question by Terrell. You mentioned the Browns and the Steelers, so the Steelers are the the perennial team. Even if they lose Antonio Brown, they're always going to be competitive because they have a good coach in Tomlin. They have a good quarterback in Roethlisberger. They're always going to have the cloud around this time of the year, even if they don't do much because they rarely do anything in free agency. The Browns have done everything right since the since the end of the season. They they hired the right head coach in Freddie Kitchens. They've surrounded. Baker Mayfield with a lot of good talent on the offensive side of the ball. They made improvements in other areas beyond just free agency in, in terms of trade. So they've done everything right. And I don't think it's surprising that the media would credit them for, for doing the things correctly, because if there's any, if there's ever a time to like the Browns, it's before they end up kicking off week one, because you don't know what they're going to do beyond that. But I, I, I think, I think it's fair to praise what the Browns have done. Obviously they have to prove it. Uh, to validate all this, all this going on. But when you look at the Bengals, it's more so the same old, same old besides hiring all the, all the head coaches, but in terms of just their overall team building process, nothing really major has happened compared to trading for OBJ and trading away, trading away Kevin Zyler for Olivier Vernon. And then look at the Ravens who have done, you know, more, more so the same with, with their overall free agency approach. So I'm not really shocked about it at all. It's popular to like the Browns right now. And a lot of the media is capitalizing off of that. And, you know, just looking at what they did towards the end of that season when Kitchens took over, what the pieces they have now, what they retained and what they brought in, it's it's easy to, to see that success keep building. But, again, they have to prove it. But it, it, it's, it's just... It's just the Muppets having fun, you know, like, like, well, it's not, it's not too much for me personally to be upset about because they do have a good team and they, they, they are primed to do something with it. They just got to do it. 
Cookie Monster betrayed me. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, here, here, here's your baker, Anthony. He okay. bakes cookies. I know, I know. Uh, but I almost liken them to what the Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs, were last year, right? I mean, they've got the exciting quarterback who's now entering his his second year with. Um, not a full season of starting, but you know the the sky seems the limit there. They've got talent at the wide receiver position. They've got talent at the the running back position. And by the way, have you noticed what's happened with the Kansas City Chiefs from late last year into this offseason? Kareem Hunt arrested. You've got issues with Tyreek Hill once again surfacing. Who knows what's going to happen there? They've lost D Ford. They, they don't seem poised to re-sign Justin Houston. Um, that team is getting kind of fleeced. Oh, they lost Houston. What? They lost Houston. Right. Yeah. Um, so they, they got rid of him. So uh, now you look at the Browns. I, I don't want to say these are bad guys on this team or whatever, but th- there is a powder keg type of situation here. Now, could it be an AFC championship team? Could it be a Super Bowl-bound team with the talent they have? Yes. But Baker Mayfield was arrested in college. Uh, you've got Antonio Callaway with a myriad of issues himself. Kareem Hunt, I mentioned, who they picked up, is now going to be suspended for, I think, eight games. And uh, he has his issue. Uh, OBJ, not really the same issues, but was known sort of as a locker room issue, I guess. Um, Who knows if he's not getting the ball enough, what's going to happen there. My point is, this has the ability to do this. Or this has, especially with the buildup, it has the ability to completely implode. Um, maybe not even in 2019, but maybe we look at 2020, we look at 2021, especially inexperienced head coach. How do you manage all the egos? Uh, am I off base with that? It's the John Dorsey factor, because a lot of those players that you mentioned, right. they're brought in by the Chiefs from Dorsey when he was there, and then he went to Cleveland, drafted Mayfield, who I don't think was a bad person. I think he got caught in a bad situation there. Right. They draft Callaway, who had a myriad of issues. I don't think OBJ is necessarily a bad person, but there is, I guess, some weight to that. But Dorsey doesn't really care. And like he'll come off saying, like, you know, I, I like my guys, but in reality, I think he's just purely just a football guy who doesn't really take stock into anything else when in regards to off the field stuff. But yeah, when you when you put all those guys in into that room, it, it really comes down to do they have the leadership at the most important spots to make it all work together? And that's what they're counting on Baker to be. And I, I think Baker has the capability of being that leader. I don't think he's just a clone of Johnny Manziel. And I think Kitchens is a guy that can work well with him as well. So as long as they have some type of some type of mission, some type of singular mindset, some type of goal that that and all the leaders can kind of cohesively go together, they can they can build something. And I think from your point, how how much of a variance the season can go from that's that's like perfect eye candy for like the media to talk about as well. Yep, a lot. It's going to be very interesting in this division, watching this division this year, in, in terms of new coaches, new talent, uh, guys coming back to teams, the Steelers losing guys, and who they replace them with. All of that. We're going to get out of here though. We're we're running a tiny bit long, even though we started uh, a little late. But uh, appreciate all the questions, the interactions, the the comments in the live YouTube chat and uh, various other ways. We appreciate the the call there from from Terrell. Um, any any final thoughts before we get out of here, John? I did miss you guys. I'm sorry I missed last week, but I didn't have the greatest start of this week, mainly because I was hungover for most of them. But I'm I'm glad to be back. I'm glad for the interaction on the show again Let's get, get my juices pumping i can't wait for next week it's there's nothing worse than that that uh that hangover that uh you know is a is a two-day or it was a four-day for me Woo! 
that's that's where you gotta yeah and then you try and do the hair of the dog and then it just keeps you know yeah keeps coming back but uh good to have you back um glad you uh glad you went away for a little bit and had some fun man that's uh that's a that's good times um i don't really have a final thought other than this has been a jam-packed episode with a lot of fun stuff a lot of good topics and uh, it's going to be it's going to be very uh we've got a lot of stuff coming up for the draft uh for this program both um in terms of being involved in the sb nation mock draft so keep that uh in mind with our uh, that's primarily going to be on our audio feed so Mm. Uh, check that out and um, make sure that uh, you, you download that stuff because both John and I, I think you're, I think you're going to be involved, buddy. Um, we're we're going to be involved in the SB Nation mock draft. And then as the draft happens, we're going to figure out a game plan on how to do that. We're, we're hoping to bring in some guests and talk to some people uh, in terms of reactions and everything that the Bengals do in a few weeks with the NFL draft. So keep it to our program and keep it to Cincy Jungle com with all of the news updates and all that this has been the orange and black insider Bengals podcast as i mentioned before you can get this show on itunes on stitcher on google play on spotify on megaphone you can also get it on youtube and cincyjungle.com we appreciate all the feedback we appreciate the live listeners and we appreciate all of you who download the show after the fact try and join us live sometime and uh tell a fellow Bengals fan about our program we love interacting with you guys appreciate it see you next episode Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Atlassian.